Well, good morning. Oh, okay. The pity clap. Thank you for that. Um, Well, good morning. Before I begin, I just want to go ahead and give a special shout out and thanks to my family, um, my mom and dad, Janelle, my wife, Aunt Laura, Uncle Alan. I know that a lot of um, a lot of kids don't have the support of their parents when they go into ministry, but my family has always been there. So I just wanted to give them a shout out and a big thank you to you. Yeah, yeah. So a couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast and they were interviewing this lady named Mary Russell. Now, Mary Russell, she's this 92 year old lady and she had been following Jesus for over 70 years. So, of course, they're going to ask this lady about her Christian life. So they asked her um, what Jesus had challenged her to do in the last year. They asked her about some of her spiritual disciplines. They asked her about what her rhythm of life kind of looked like. And then they asked her, what is your favorite book in the Bible? Now, if you're preparing for ministry, you need to know the answer to that question because you're going to get asked it a lot. And immediately, she didn't even have to think about it. Immediately, she said, the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, it's a pretty good book. Jesus quoted from it and alluded to it more than any other book in the Bible. But the interviewer, Nathan Foster, immediately, right after she said Deuteronomy, he said, really? And then he chuckled twice. I'm not going to try to do that sound like an idiot, but he chuckled twice. And there for a second, I thought to myself, well, this guy, he's an idiot. Doesn't he know that the, that Deuteronomy is in God's word and all of God's word is God breathed? This guy, I cannot believe him. And then I thought about it for a second. After I got over my self-righteousness, um, I thought to myself, maybe this is how we treat the Old Testament in general. I mean, we, we know it's there and we know it used to serve its purpose, but it doesn't really apply to us today. And then we just chuckle at it and move on to the New Testament. But I would argue, I would argue that maybe the Old Testament and especially the book of Deuteronomy applies to us more than we would think today. So, uh, I am going to be continuing this series through famous last words. Uh, Sperry started us off on Tuesday and he talked about Joseph and how what they intended for evil, God intended for good. And then we moved to Bones and he talked about Paul's famous last words. And Paul's famous last words, uh, he was basically talking about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. God's plan has always meant to point to Jesus, so we just need to stick to the plan. And today, I have Moses' famous last words. But Moses' famous last words, they're, uh, they're a little bit different. Because Moses' famous last words are the entire book of Deuteronomy. I mean, for somebody who in Exodus 3 and 4 didn't have anything to say to Pharaoh, he sure had a lot to say in the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> So, um, we're just going to start in verse 1 and we're just going to read through the whole thing. No, I'm kidding. We should do that. Really, go home and do that. It'll be great. Uh, But instead, uh, Deuteronomy is this series of sermons that Moses is preaching to God's people who are about to cross into the promised land. They are God's 
people. Sometimes we forget about that. I think Deuteronomy 7 is the best passage in Deuteronomy to tell us about the relationship that Israel has with their God. Follow along with me on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. It says, the, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. It continues in verse 7. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You did not earn this. There's no reason that God should have loved Israel. Does that sound familiar at all? Verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and redeemed you. These Israelites are God's people, not because of anything they have earned, but because of God's grace and God's love. And so Moses is about to tell these people, God's people, what to do when they get to their inheritance. But they haven't reached it yet. And it sounds a lot like 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written to these Christians who were in exile. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls these Christians chosen people. A royal priesthood. A special possession. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In other words, he is saying to these Christians, to God's people, you have not yet reached your inheritance. Maybe, maybe the book of Deuteronomy has more to say to us than we would normally think. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is where we will begin. Moses is going to pretty much sum up his sermon here. This is the last of his sermons in two words. He's going to tell them to choose life. To choose life. And so the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 30 is describing to us how we can choose life. But Deuteronomy 30 cannot be separated from Deuteronomy chapter 29. And chapter 29 is a very bleak and dark picture. Because in chapter 29, Moses tells these Israelites that they will rebel against God. They will turn against Him. They will rebel against God. And so God is going to bring curses on His people. But just as God often does, this bleak word is not the last word. God speaks hope and comfort and grace to these people, even in the midst of rebellion. And so go ahead and look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you don't have your Bibles out, you might want to. We're going to be trucking through a lot of verses today, okay? So we're going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to go all the way through verse 10. Here's what he says. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart... 
The Hebrew word there is shuv, to turn them to your heart. That's going to be significant. Wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return... Same word, shuv, return or turn to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. Same word, shuv, turn, return your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again. Same word, shuv, turn from all the nations where He scattered you. Verse 4, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Verse 6 is a key verse here. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. I don't know if you know this, but that's not normally where you get circumcised. Maybe, maybe Moses is trying to get us to realize what the heart of the issue is. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Verse 7, The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. Verse 8, You will again obey. Shuv. Turn. You will again turn and obey the Lord and follow all His commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of the land. The Lord your God will again... Same word. Shuv. Turn. He will turn and delight in you. And make you prosperous just as He delighted in your ancestors. If, this is a big if in verse 10, if you obey the Lord your God and keep His commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I think first this passage passage tells us about the heart of God. God is the one who is taking the initiative to circumcise their hearts so that they might live. God is the one who is restoring them. God is the one who is gathering them. God is the one who has lavished His grace on them. And so He asks His people to respond. And this is what He tells them. To turn your hearts. Turn your hearts. I think maybe more than anything else in the Bible, God wants His people's hearts. So He asks His people here to turn to Him. The biblical word for turning your heart is repentance. And so often, when it comes to this idea of repentance, I think we think of it as a one-time thing. The one time we get on our knees and we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. And while that certainly is a part of repentance, that's just the beginning. It has to be a daily 
repentance. Why? Well, because as John Calvin says, our hearts are idle factories. And so often we turn our hearts to other places and other people instead of rightfully to God Himself. And so we hear, turn your heart to God. And so to these Israelites who are in the brink of rebellion, He tells them to repent to return, to reorient their lives around God. And us here in the 21st century, after the cross, he, the same message applies to us with just a slightly different nuance. Repent, return, reorient our lives around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because He has set His heart on us. Why? Because He has given us everything. And as a response to what He has given us, we should want to give Him everything too. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, There must be nothing held of greater value than Jesus and His kingdom. There must be nothing held of greater value than Jesus and His kingdom. In other words, our greatest desire has to be for Jesus. More than anything else in our lives, more than a successful ministry, more than popularity, more than comfort, more than a good family, more than every other desire we have in our hearts, we have to want Jesus more. Turn. Turn your heart to Jesus because He deserves all of our worship. Turn your heart to the One who has set His heart on you. But in verse 11, Moses channels his inner cheerleader here. He he changes tones. And instead of just turning your heart, he tells the people to take heart. To take heart. Look at verse 11 with me. Now that I am commanding you today, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. God's grace is sufficient. Verse 12, it is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Verse 13, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Verse 14, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. This word that Moses has been talking about for 30 chapters now is this good life of following after God. Sometimes we think about the law and we think of it how it exposes our sin. Sure. But to these Israelites, the law was God's grace to them. Why else would the psalmist in Psalm 1 say, Blessed is the one who meditates on this law day and night. Or Psalm 19.7, where the law is perfect, refreshing my soul. No, this law, these instructions to follow after God, they are attainable, they are achievable. You can live this life following after God. But sometimes, sometimes it's not easy. There are moments in the Christian walk where you are on the mountaintop and you can see God's glory and you can see the promised land in the distance. And then there are other times where you just feel in the valley 
and you feel abandoned and you don't know where God is. I remember the day like it was yesterday. I don't know how you could forget a day like that. April 5th, 2015. It wasn't a regular day, it was Easter. Resurrection Sunday. And so on this Sunday, Janelle, my future wife and I, we were spending as much time as we could with my family. We we did the Easter stuff, you know. We went and looked for eggs. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can still look for eggs, okay? So we looked for eggs. We went to church. We had dinner with them, a big family dinner. But she went to school at Pitt State and I went here to Ozark. And so we needed to go home and go back for class. And it's about a two and a half hour drive from our house back to Pittsburgh just a straight shot down 400 right before we left right before we left Janelle I asked Janelle do you want me to drive no your driving scares me some things never change I guess Um, so we head down 400 back to Pittsburgh and on the way there there's a lady she's tired from her night And 70 miles down the highway, she falls asleep. And I remember, I remember Janelle asking me, are those lights in our lane? Next thing I remember is waking up in the ditch beside her. I could never forget the smell, the smell of like burnt rubber. We woke up about the same time. She looked at me and she said, is this real life, Michael? After I gained what composure I had, I said, yeah, I I think it is. She had fallen asleep, the other lady, and hit us head on going about 70 miles an hour. And because Janelle was driving, uh, it didn't quite hit head on, head on. It It hit driver to driver. And so I was fine. But not Janelle. She was stuck in the car. I watched for 45 minutes helplessly because there was nothing I could do while she was in that car stuck. They didn't get her out for another 45 minutes, but I was at another hospital. The following days, the following weeks, the following months... I had to ask myself, is this life worth it? Is this journey with Jesus worth it? Is it even possible? Because right now, God, I feel abandoned. Right now, God, you are letting someone I love so dearly be in so much pain. Why would I follow you? And yet, in God's grace, He used people To remind me of this message. To take heart. He used people like Austin Turner and Dylan Bone who would let me just talk to him whenever I needed to. He used people like Caleb Falk who drove three hours out of his way to come pick me up one time. He used people like Sean Lindsay who he doesn't even know it. But one day he pulled me aside in chapel and asked me how I was doing. And it was what I needed most in that moment. Through these people... God reminded me of this message to take heart while this life is hard and difficult. It is 
possible. And I don't know where you are spiritually today, whether you feel like you're at the end of your rope, whether you feel like God has abandoned you, whether you feel like you are done. If you are, allow the words of Moses, allow the words of God to wash over your heart and remind you to take heart. This journey with Jesus is possible. This good life with Jesus is possible. It doesn't matter what you are going through. Take heart. What I love so much about Ozark Christian College is that we are surrounded by people here who would tell us that yes, this life, this journey with Jesus is possible. Go ahead and look to your faculty and staff in both ends. Look at some of these people who have been following Jesus in the front couple rows longer than we have been alive. I guarantee if you ask any one of them, they will tell you to take heart. This life is worth it. This journey with Jesus is worth it. I can just hear Hebrews 12, the great cloud of witnesses, just chanting for us to finish this race well. Janelle, you used to run track at Pitt State and sometimes I would go and listen with or go watch with her mom. That's a bad decision because your eardrums will be blown and she would just scream for Janelle like crazy and that's the type of picture I get with the the great witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12 just cheering for us, just rooting for us. Take heart, this life is possible. And Jesus said the exact same thing to His disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. Take heart. Why? Because He has overcome the world. Turn your heart to Jesus. His grace is sufficient enough. And take heart because this life is possible. And then Moses comes to his climactic point in his sermon, verses 15 through 20. And he says to these people, choose life. Look at what he says. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose. Choose life. Now choose life. And you now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Moses gives us this black and white picture. This way leads to life, every other way leads to death. And on this side of the cross, we know that that way to life is Jesus Christ, who says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. How do we choose life? We turn our hearts and we take 
heart. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon today, remember these words. Turn your heart to the One who has set His heart on you. Turn your heart to the One who has set His heart on you. And watch as He takes you and me into the promised land. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You so much. We thank You that all of Your Word is God-breathed and applies to our lives. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You have lavished Your grace on us. And so now, help us to respond to You. Help us to turn our hearts to You. You are so worthy of it. And I just pray for anybody who is struggling right now and doesn't know if they want to follow You anymore. I pray that they would take heart in You and in Your Word. We love you, dear Jesus, and ask this in your precious name. Amen.